On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Juan Pablo Vertica. He is an engineering leader with a great background, having worked with startups, small, big. And the topic for this episode is going to be about preparing your team to scale. I think it's a tricky topic because a lot of times you find yourself in the need to scale without actually realizing you need to scale. And I'm really excited to have Juan Pablo on to talk to us. Uh, Thanks for being on. Hey, Mary, thank you so much. So I guess uh, do us a favor, just uh, give us a little background, you know, a high level of who you are just to kind of kick things off. Sure. I've been a little bit all over the place, so I'll (laughs) I'll be as fast as as I can. So I, I was born in Colombia. I live in New York. I've been leading engineering for a little bit over a decade at startups. Some have failed, some have succeeded, some still are around, and eventually have gotten into larger and larger troubles myself. Before accidentally stumbling into tech, I ran kitchens. You know, I studied pharmaceutical chemistry and, and some of the sciences. So I'm, I'm a, I've done a little bit of everything. Awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, you're modest. Your LinkedIn will be on uh, in the show notes, but uh, I mean, you've worked for some really uh, nice companies and, and you've been an engineering leader for a while. And I think this is a, a good topic to kind of talk about. And I know a lot of times when we're talking to hiring managers, you know, the biggest challenge is the timing and the preparation that has to go into scaling. Because it's not just, I need people. It's your people need to be able to interview people, which means all of a sudden they're not working as much so that you can hire more people to actually grow and scale. And it's this very, very convoluted circle. And, and you know, engineers, uh, I'm sure yourself or people on your team have gone through it. That's painful sometimes. You got to work. And I guess at a high level, we can kind of start talking about you know, what is scaling to you? I think that may be a good definition to kind of talk about. We could probably reduce it to being ready to grow or preparing to grow either as an organization, as a system, your product, right? When you're trying to scale, you're you're increasing usually by orders of magnitude. And I like talking about scale because it happens to all kinds of systems, right? Organisms scale, computer systems scale, organizations scale. So it's not only something that that happens to companies. Humans scale. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And I guess when you're having to deal with scaling systems, that's one set of problems, right? You can evaluate technology. You know, those decisions can be made at a certain speed. When it comes to scaling your human capital and having to hire, that's a different set of challenges because it feels like there's always a nuance to who you need and the type of person you want to bring on. And not only that, but also, are you hiring for what the team needs right now? Or are you trying to forecast someone that potentially might be in a role that fits, you know, a year out even, right? When you're looking at the human scaling side of things and some of the organizations you've been in and you're starting to go through, you know, some of the signals you were like, hey, I got to keep an eye on this because at some point we're going to have to add people and I don't want to be reactive. Were there any particular signals or were there any particular things you were trying to keep an eye on or did it all end up being reactive because the business moves so fast? Earlier in my career, I didn't have an option, right? I would have wanted to hire someone with experience, but I didn't have money. Like our organization didn't have the right environment or the right way to fulfill the needs of this person. So early stage, unless you're, you've had success before or you, or you have some, some money in the bank, you don't really get that much choice. And, and so you have to lean into potential, right? And that's what many startups do. It's like, look, we're going to give you a ton of responsibility. 
and you're going to be able to take as much as you can handle. And we can take a lot of risk on you getting this wrong because we don't have any alternatives. <laughs> so go out, figure it out. As you start growing, you start realizing that your lack of expertise led you to some poor choices at the beginning, right? And that's effectively when you're hiring someone with more experience or with demonstrated experience, you're hiring someone who has already made those mistakes <laughs> or has already learned from others the hard way because they may have been at a company that is scaled. So they've seen things work, but it, not always do they know how to scale, right? Like the common trope is some engineer comes from a big company. They go into a small company. They say, well, at this big company, we had this pattern. So we're going to bring it here. Turns out, the company grew into that pattern because they could support it. Experience can also be sort of like a double-edged sword. So when I am approaching this problem, I usually think, how much runway does this person need to give me, right? Because humans scale linearly, right? We grow linearly, whereas organizations grow sort of exponentially. If I have 18 months, 24 months for this person to grow into their next role, then I'm going to invest in them, right? If I can afford to give like a senior engineer the opportunity of switching careers and leading a small team, and then eventually in 18 months, they're going to be able to lead a bigger team or take on more responsibilities, then I'll invest in them, right? And I'll take some of that risk. If on the opposite end, I need to hire 100 engineers and I need someone who has navigated negotiating with HR, compensation strategy, writing down very good job descriptions, sourcing, right? Something that you can't learn in a month. Then I'm going to either try to hire an expert for the bit if I don't have a lot of money, right? Like a fractional executive or a consultant who can help me put some of this stuff. Or I'm going to hire someone full-time. It'll take me a little bit longer, but they'll have enough experience to last longer than these 18 to 24 months or to accelerate some of that experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I like what you said. Because um, you know, hiring someone with experience sometimes means you're hiring someone who's already made those mistakes, and they're not going to kind of kind of go through it. I guess sometimes on the flip opposite, you know, and you have to kind of pick and choose, right? You can't right. get it all. Is <laughs> that person comes in with predisposed biases of what that person thinks is going to work, and that's a risk because sometimes they want to mold the organization to those biases. They're like, "Well, I've tried this; it doesn't work. Let's focus on these things I know it works, but." it might not necessarily fit where the company's growing. And that's obviously there's a risk either way, but I guess that's the other side of the coin. Yeah, the way I try to get around that, and you're absolutely right, is are we aligned on the values and the outcomes, right? Because if we are, then the path that you take is up to you, right? If, if I say, hey, look, we need to double organization inside because we need to take on more work or because we're, we're going to, like our customers are growing. There's all these reasons why we need to grow. And I need you to, Invest in an organization that is healthy, where people are not burnt out. Like we align on those values, right? It's a diverse organization. We're compensating people fairly. We're giving them the right environment to grow. We're onboarding them well, right? We're not burning people out. Then I use that framework of values to evaluate how this person is making those choices. Because if they say, well, look, at this company, we did it this way, then I can use that sort of rubric. How is it going to take us into like, the outcome that we have both agreed upon? And if they can articulate that, that strategy, then go for it. Because I'm also going to learn in the process. 
that's been one of the coolest parts of doing a little bit of the leadership consulting in the past few months, seeing other organizations solve the same problem in a different way. Yeah, I guess it's interesting when, when it comes to, you know, there's different philosophies, different views of how you're going to tackle the hiring component. And I think, you know, depending if you're looking to hire 5, 10, or 50, you're going to spread your team thin. Even the interview process might differ from organization to organization, try to optimize that. And it's kind of crazy because there's so many different ways this is done. And, you know, we're still trying to find that mythical, you know, silver bullet that makes it optimal for your team. But I think there's just so much art that goes into this, uh, you know, especially the human capital growth side, the scaling side of human capital, that it's always going to be tricky. Absolutely. We pretend like we know how to hire individuals or how to evaluate individuals, but no one knows, right? And we're making them like jump through hoops and throw whiteboards at them and all these things. And we really don't know that much about hiring people as objectively as we think we do, right? And it's funny because sometimes those assessments and those um, whiteboarding sessions, the lead coding, they're built to hopefully avoid making a mistake on hiring the wrong person or finding, you know, hiring somebody who doesn't have the right technical aptitude. And it works, right? I mean, Google, you know, Facebook, they have a great process. Like they have it down. They're going to miss, but they're going to hit more than they are. But they're large organisms, right? They're large organizations that have it ironed out. But somebody who's a 50-person, 100-person company doesn't have data points yet. And you're bringing in brand new people to build out that process to help the company scale. And, and that's where you know, I think it's really tricky and you do need the engineering leader maybe that's seen it, but also, like you said, is aligned on the outcome and the values so that, you know, there's some malleability in how they're going to approach the problem. Right. And we go back to the outcomes, right? If we look from outside, we can say, yeah, Google, Facebook, some of these companies have to know what they're doing. So we're just going to take their process and we're going to copy it here. And then you understand it what you're seeing from the, even if you go through their processes, it's not going to work for you because on one end, they're looking for very different signals than you're looking, right? If you're a small company that no one knows, you kind of have like to open the doors and treat people with a lot of experience who are not going to jump through hoops for you to like, hey, look, here is the streamlined thing that I just want to evaluate that you've demonstrated, that you can run a technical project, that you've done these things, that you've learned these things. And rather than, 18 interviews with 50 people that other organizations can afford, right? And so that's something to keep in mind there. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of times people want to copy systems and processes that they see working at other places. And you can see this in lots of different things. And even just, you know, people see somebody with time management or whatever it is, I'm going to do what that person's doing. And then you quickly realize that there's so many different components that go into this that you're not going to get all the dynamic linked, you know, components to work. And I think that like chain link system is very hard to reproduce because, you know, the why behind it's out. I always say, you know, if you put two Italian chefs in a kitchen, tell them to make you a a delicious pasta sauce, they're both going to make you pasta sauces, but but I'm pretty sure they're both going to do it very differently and pasta and it's going to taste good. But, you know, the little components that person has is going to be so dynamically different and copying is the worst thing. And you see it all the time, especially when it comes to, hey, uh, leak code testing works for this company. Let's use it as a barometer and put our engineers through it. And it slows on hiring. And that's the challenge sometimes in, in you know, different ways. Yeah, you, you can copy my recipe. 
You can't match my taste. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. When you're sitting in teams and you're looking at, you know, trying to hire 20 engineers, right? And you're looking at some of the constraints that your team is going to face. How do you start adjusting their workload, knowing they're going to have to spend hours in interviews, they're going to have to, you know, sit through coding sessions and a whiteboard, you know, you still have to produce, they can't work 80 hours a week, you're going to burn out, but how do you start adjusting their world so they can actually participate? It all starts by the, the organization understands that interviewing is also part of building software, that building a team, that planning, that all of these things are key ingredients to the output of our product, right? And I think as an industry, we've damaged or we've done a disservice to ourselves by over-optimizing on the time that engineers spend in coding. Hours in coding and this, oh, engineers are these people who take coffee and put it into code. And it's not really, right? Like <laughs> the act of programming is an individual endeavor, right? You can do it by yourself and as long as you want. But building software professionally is a social endeavor. And a lot of the social in sort of collaborative tasks are equally or even more important to the results of software than the programming itself. And so I start by ensuring that the organization understands that. And there's different techniques, right? If I have support from leadership in that, then I don't have to show a lot of things and I have the trust and we're like, we're going to spend 10, 20% of our time doing this. And if I don't have the confidence, then... I take different strategies, right? I either carve out time for my team and I say like, look, we only have this capacity and this portion of the team is just not going to be involved in feature work or in support work or not things until we build up. But it's also from a team perspective, ensuring that individuals also understand that their role, interviewing, preparing, giving a great candidate experience is also part of their job. And it has to be recognized as well. It has to be rewarded. It has to be highlighted. It's part of building the company. And we are all building the company. And so that's a little bit of how I got around. I think Stripe does that really, really, really well. Did you, I guess, uh, when you see some of the organizations you've been in some of the evolution, if you were to look back, like, you know, when you first started with an org and when you ended and some of the changes you had to implement, like, what are some of those things that, as you've gone through, you know, different stages, I know you were you know, a couple of companies and see them, you know, built out at a nice size. I mean, what were some of those learning lessons that you've been like, I wish I would have brought this in earlier or done this differently? Actually, something we got right at Splice early on was our, our hiring process, right? So when, when we knew that we had to grow, because originally when, when I joined Splice, the pitch was, look, we're not going to grow that much. We have a good product market fit. Our intent is not to explode in things. We, we're going to build a good business for musicians until we saw that there was a huge opportunity and we sort of switched. We were like, actually, we're going to go for as much as we can. And so <laughs> I wasn't planning on hiring that much until then. Suddenly, we had all this money in the bank and it was like, all right, go. Like, you're not going to hire too many people, go. And so we sat down and we wrote a simple process, a light process that was very healthy and very sort of humane, right? Like we're not going to put people jump through hoops. We want to validate some things. We're also going to be extremely 
open and we're going to, so I even remember our job postings at the time would tell you exactly what the process would be in the job posting. Like if you interview here, it starts here, you're going to meet this person, you're then going to do this. And this is what we expect in every stage. Our job description also described like what a week in the life of a, of an engineer of whichever discipline we were looking for looked like and what success looked like. So it helps people filter themselves out or in on what we were looking for. And on the other end, we also invested a lot in the interview exercises for them to be a learning opportunity, right? So our interview exercise for both Ryan Back and Ware published on GitHub. I think they're still there. And you would build a beat maker. You'd build out some tracks and you'd give some sounds and you would like play a little music in the process of interviewing. And we made sure that we were respectful of your time. That if you couldn't afford to take some time off, that we would pay you if we could. And that became the first experience that anyone had with our company when we were not known at all, other than our two founders were well known in some spaces. But little by little, we started sort of covering it like, hey, I, I really like this process. And I really like, like, we were showing our values through the interview process, even before we had to find them. And I think I remember at one time I was talking to Kellen. He was a CTO at Etsy. He was my coach at a time where I needed some support. And he said, like, you're one of the fastest growing companies in New York, and I don't know how you're doing. Like, everyone is struggling in hiring. You are doing really well. And so that was some validation because I couldn't compare, but getting that perspective showed that the process we built was working. And so rather than telling you something that I do differently, it's something that I would repeat, getting that process and ensuring that we could grow as fast as we could, but that it was still sustainable and repeatable. One other thing here, I'll give a shout out to Ernie, who was the director who wrote this. We had cohorts, hiring cohorts. So rather than stringing people along for months or weeks, we would say, this role, we're going to hire in six weeks. And we open applications, then we do interviews and selection. So we knew that everyone would have a response within six weeks and we would have hired someone or we would have made a decision. And when you're trying to move really, really fast, it's a lot more predictable than, well, we're going to hope that someone brings like, no, we're going to make a decision. And this decision is going to happen in six weeks and then they're going to onboard soon. But it gives you some time to move. Let me ask you this question. I'm just kind of curious. So, you know, I like the idea it's cohort. You have, let's say, a defined timeline to hire. Was that forcing you guys to be more open-minded to candidates? Yeah, it's obviously sometimes you get situations where it's an indefinite time period to hire. And someone, you could tell someone's waiting for literally the 99 out of 100 candidates to come in before they pull the trigger. But knowing that you guys had some time pressure, obviously, you know, three points of a project management triangle. I mean, time is one of those. Was that, knowing that that's kind of semi-fixed or maybe fixed, was that making you guys evaluate differently? It did. It sort of put pressure on us. On one end, we had to filter much faster, right, to move people. Because we couldn't, if we said we're going to have rounds of interviews by the third week, then we got 100 applicants. We couldn't have 100 interviews. So we had to get a lot more invested in the filtering. And we didn't get 100 applicants at the beginning. So it's also like we weren't, sourcing usually <laughs> takes a bit. But it also developed, the. it sort of calibrated the entire team in a way where they knew that they would come in, that they needed for these two weeks or these three weeks, they could predict like, look, this is going to be my interview week. 
So I'm going to focus a lot of my time in interviews. And the rest of the quarter, I'm not going to be that invested in that. I'm going to have a tone board or something. But it also gave the sort of knowledge to the existing team members. And it didn't become this drag, like, oh, I don't know. Like, suddenly I get something scheduled and I, my work falls behind. So that was good. We also had to get really good at communicating with candidates. Because sometimes when we communicated the process up front, people thought that they were going to go through all the phases and then there would be a decision. And we had to adjust a little bit of the messaging. We're like, look, it is a funnel and we will make like decisions at any one of the stages. So the fact that you apply doesn't guarantee that you're going to get to the last round. And as much as we tried to be very respectful communicating, there's always the trick to give feedback for people afterwards, right? And I really don't know like I usually hear from HR, like all these like, oh, you can't get feedback. You can't say all these things or there's legal implications or there's a lot of like scary things around it. But no one has yet <laughs> articulated to me, look, these are the risks and not. And that's why when I could give feedback, we would on why there wasn't a good match or not. But there's definitely like this fear of giving candidates the right information, which I think is it's sad. Absolutely. No, I, I love it. I think um, certainly sound like a very well-oiled uh, process and, you know, drove some of the values, which I think is really critical. I think a lot of candidates, you know, especially when, when you're trying to hire and scale and you've got to have a process, you know, you want your values to shine. So they want to work with you. You want more hits and <laughs> less interviews. I mean, I was going to say, I, I think it was great having you on chatting about this. I think uh, hopefully it'll spur some uh, outreach kind of talking to you probably a little bit more in-depth about some of these processes. Uh, what's a good way of somebody getting a hold of you? Is LinkedIn a, a good spot to reach you? Sure. So I don't check LinkedIn. Every once in a while I do. Okay. My DMs and Twitter are open. And my email, I'm very good at email. I've had to become very good at email. I mean, I try to respond as much as I can. So that, that is also a good place. Okay. We'll include your Twitter handle and your email. And we'll leave LinkedIn up there. So if somebody wants to just uh, take a look at your background to reach out on Twitter, obviously, if anyone has a follow-up for Juan Pablo. Hey, man, I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for your patience. I know we, we talked about being here for a bit and you were persistent, so I really appreciate it and I had a, a blast talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for being on again. And that's it for this episode. We'll be back again, different guests, different topic. I always rest with two things. One, the podcast has been growing organically now over 120-some-odd episodes we've published. So if you find the episode interesting, share it with somebody. Maybe they'll like it too and, and they'll share it with somebody else. And secondly, if you want me to talk about a topic, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or email or however you want. And just let me know what, what topic uh, you want me to find a guest to speak to. I'd love to do that. Otherwise, until next time, thanks. Thanks.